welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Negroni. I am the box office columnist for Adam Tickets and head writer of Cinemaholics.com. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. It's Will Ashton. Hello. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. Write into the show anytime. Send us an email. Tell us what's on your mind. Our email is cinemahawkspodcast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in becoming a patron of our show, you can always donate to our Patreon on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Special thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support the show as we enter 2020. So this is our second official episode of the year, but we're still- mm-hmm. Of the decade. Of the, the first of, or the second of the decade, yes. I keep thinking like- that last episode never happened maybe because it was sure. so long it was a blur it's still going on <laughs> yeah, that's right um, sam's here hey sam <laughs> all right uh we're going to be talking about quite a few movies uh this week including just mercy and underwater togo like a boss a lot of great stuff to get to well i don't know maybe uh, it's great maybe it's yeah, not yeah, we'll yeah. find out but yeah. <laughs> A lot of great conversations to get to. How about that? Sure, that, that's a good good recovery. <laughs> but a couple off topics to get to first. We have a special bonus episode out. Sam Nolan and I sat down and we did the unthinkable. We ranked all the Star Wars movies without Words. killing each other. That's right. We went through all the films. We went through our favorites, our not favorites, and we came up with a definitive ranking combining both of our lists using science and persuasion, all that fun stuff. Mm. So I know it's like nerd stuff. Well, we weighed your options in. You can't be too salty. We, sure. we definitely looked at your list and made some decisions based on your favorites too. I feel like you reviewed my list the same way that Disney reviewed George Lucas's plans for the new trilogy. <laughs> you just say this after you look at the list, which is published on cinemaholics.com. Yeah. But yeah, uh, you can check that out either in written form. It is on cinemaholics.com right now, or you can listen to the entire episode where Sam and I talk about the movies themselves, why they are in certain places on our list. It was a fun star tour through that universe and it was a lot of blast it was a lot of fun and it was a blast to talk about those films in light of rise of skywalker kind of revisiting what we love about those movies but i think will you express a sentiment i'm kind of feeling right now as well which is i'm kind of tired of star wars right now i am definitely uh i'm uh concurrent to your ranking uh i have also just i guess for the heck of it have decided to revisit uh, most of the Star Wars movies uh, right. in the past, uh, guess going on month now, and uh, yeah, I'm just between the discourse and that, uh, I'm just I'm I'm really tired of Star Wars. I could take a like a ten year break on Star Wars, I think. Right, rebuild your midichlorians and sure, but uh, I, I say that, but I'm sure at some point I'll watch the Mandalorian. So yeah, we'll see how long that lives. You have time before the next season comes out, Maybe. and yeah. yeah, I've I've been watching the Clone Wars series, and that's starting to t- wear me out. I've been re-watching a couple other Star Wars films. And I also, uh, I've been playing that video game, uh, Jedi Fallen Order, which I, I say this too. I am like, oh, I'm getting tired of Star Wars. Anyway, I'm playing this video game about Star Wars, and uh, it's so good. But uh, yeah, I definitely need to take a break from it soon. But all right, uh, we we didn't talk about any new films last week because we were busy talking about the films of 2019 that we loved. Mm-hmm. And a movie came out called The Grudge, and just want to give it a quick little shout out because uh, you know some people might have been curious what we thought of the film. Neither of us saw it though. This was the new film written and directed 
by Nicholas Pesch, who is better known for writing horror films. Uh, he's best known probably for Eyes of My Mother and Piercing. Well, he directed those too. He directed them too? I thought he just yeah. wrote them. Nope. Okay, uh, my I mistake, believe, though. if I, I, this is a rumor, but I, I, I think I heard somewhere that going on set for Eyes of My Mother was like the first time he was on a movie set. No which kidding. Which is pretty insane. Huh. Yeah. He's like only like 29 or something, so he's a pretty young guy. I think that's why I thought he was only a screenwriter. So, yeah, my mistake. I uh, Yeah, and I just looked it up. He, he did direct and write them, so uh, apologies. Uh, yeah. As My Mother was his first film, so. Right, and I believe I reviewed Piercing at one point on this show. Uh, oh, I think I remember so. that. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, that's a uh, 2018 film, and I, I don't think you saw it like right when it came out, but I remember you talking about it. Yeah, I remember when it got a North American release outside of the festivals, but it, I don't think it had a particularly wide release outside of like VOD. Yeah, we we were kind of interested in this one a while ago um, because it's produced by Sam Raimi and it has a really good cast. I mean, John Cho, yep. Jackie Weaver, Betty Gilpin, Andrea Riseborough, mm-hmm. but the reviews came out and yep. this is, of course, a remake and I've I've heard terrible, terrible things about this film. Uh, it's another remake because there was a 2004 version, which is I think kind of okay. I know some people really right. like that film, but you know, but then the original Japanese film is uh, incredible. It's probably a classic. So I don't know. What it, did, do you just decide not to watch this one because of the reviews, or are you planning on seeing it soon? Um, well, indirectly because of the reviews. Because what happened was yesterday I was actually going to check it out with a friend of mine. Uh, we're both big horror fans and uh, we were talking about seeing it. And I just mentioned like, hey, do you want to see this, The Grudge or Underwater? And he was like, I'll have to get back to you. And then hmm. he's like, hey, I is your uh, friend Sam Raimi? <laughs> uh, if only <laughs> if only our friends, which Sam Raimi, that would I don't even know. I wouldn't even be here. <laughs> I would be hanging out with Sam Raimi. Yeah. Podcasting from his place. Yeah, exactly. But um, <laughs> no, I was talking to him and he was just like, uh. Well, The Grudge has a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I didn't even realize was that low. I was yeah. just like, oh, geez. I was just was curious in seeing the new Nicholas Pesh film, or Pesh, or how he pronounced his last name. Um, but yeah, so we end up seeing Underwater instead. But I'm kind of curious to check it out. I have AMC A-list now, so yeah. maybe if I'm uh, free one night and it's still playing theaters, I might give it a view. I actually started watching the uh, original Japanese film because I've never seen it before. And, uh, it's all right so far. I'm curious to finish that, but... Yeah, my only real familiarity was the first uh, American remake, like you mentioned, the one with Sarah Jessica Parker, if I'm remembering correctly. It's mm-hmm. been a little bit since so I've seen it. Yeah. yeah, I remember it being okay. Yeah, so. uh, no, I think it's um, sorry, it's the other Sarah, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh, you're right. Yes, that's yeah. yeah. Oh, that's why I meant to say, but I said the wrong name. That's a weird thing. I, I think do. even I registered it at first too, but I was like, wait a minute, no. <laughs> I I saw I saw Sarah Michelle Gellar's face. But I said Sarah Jessica's Parker's name, so that's I, my yeah, point. I did the same. Um, yeah, yeah. The the Japanese version is, uh, I think, it's part of an ongoing series. Yeah, where... I actually think the director of the Japanese one did the one with Sarah Michelle Geller, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, Takashi uh, Shimizu, I think, is his name. Um, sure. Yeah, he directed I... the American version, and yeah, uh, also produced by Sam Raimi, right? So. Right. It, yeah, I, I thought this might be an interesting kind of reboot, but yeah, everything I'm hearing is that it's just a total misfire, which kind of explains why it's coming out in January, which is the month movies go to kind of quietly die. Especially the first weekend is right. like this weird thing where it's like, 
I don't know when it started, but it's like this trend where like the first movie of uh, the year, like that first weekend is always a horror movie that sucks. Right. Like that Natalie Dormer forest movie. And then yeah. what was last year? It was Escape Plan, which actually got okay reviews. Yeah, so actually, I I'd like to Escape Room a lot. I didn't see it, but. I wonder if um, there's another one too. There was Insidious. Well, The Devil Inside was a pretty big one. Yeah. Um, the one, the found footage one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's always something. But this movie's uh, making good money. It's like a $30 million box office, and it's a horror movie. So it's pretty low budget, probably around like $10, 15000000 million. So it's uh, not, not a disaster for, I think, uh, Sony is the one who released this. But mm -hmm. yeah. So that's The Grudge, a movie neither of us saw, which I'm surprised we talked about it this long. Sure. Another movie that hit wide release this week, so a lot more people had time to see it, is 1917, which is the World War I film directed by Sam Mendes. It's on my top 10 films of the year list. Film you didn't quite like as much but as I did, yeah. but I think, yeah. did it make your honorable mentions? Or was it, it like, didn't. Okay, it was like it probably was, right outside. Uh, it, like it, pretty far Highest in the top 50. Oh, man. Jesus. Uh, well... I maintain that 1917 is incredible, but yeah, there is a weird divide on this movie where I'm not seeing a ton of middle ground. I'm seeing a lot of like, it's either one of the best movies of the year or it's trash, basically. Um, I'm neither. I think it's it's competently well-made. I just don't particularly think it's an engaging or particularly noteworthy film outside of the technical merits. Well, but. I'm happy a lot of people are disagreeing with you and agree with sure. me so far. Well, people are watching this movie and it's it's getting a lot of awards recognition. It's starting to become a huge Oscar front runner. And I think it's great because, yeah, I'm obviously on the other side of that argument. I think it's incredible. But speaking of films that have a divide, I want you to talk about uh, another film that you did see, A Hidden Life, which yes. I poor I gave a pretty poor review. Uh, not yeah. the review was poor, but I thought poorly of the film. But sure. it's your turn. What's what's the well, second opinion? Of I think Terrence there is Malick's? overlap in what you're saying because I think it was a poor review as well because I think <laughs> it's a, a a very good film. Of uh, course, I'm right. I'm teasing. Of course, I mean you're entitled to your opinion, wrong though it might be. Um, oh, weird. I was just thinking the same thing, but sure. hmm, <laughs> I, mean, it. Hmm. I don't mean to be salty. Here's my thing is honestly, like, I get people who don't like Terrence Malick films. Like they're not for everybody, especially this one, which is about three hours long and it's a fairly meditative film and I can see why it's not going to appeal to everyone's sensibilities, but I just feel bad, honestly, that you can't get the same thing. I mean, I just when people don't like his movies, I just don't I just feel bad. Like, it's just like it's to me like this is one of those films. Like, I remember when you um, reviewed Call Me By Your Name, you're talking about like it was one of those movies that you could like kind of like feel the senses of like you could you could feel yeah. like the air and smell it. And that's how I felt with this movie. And it, it was I don't know. I mean, it's not a perfect film by any means, but I think the way it's shot, especially seeing theaters, which I, I'm very glad I got a chance to see it this way. Um, I was really moved and taken by it. not as much as Tree of Life, but certainly more so than the last three films uh, that preceded it. Um, so or that followed it. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. I, I'm between a B plus and A minus on it. it. It's one that I don't know if it would be in my top 10 for the end of the year for 2019, but absolutely would be an honorable mention. Um, yeah, I, I really was taken by it as I expected to be. So sorry, you can't say the same, John. You know, it, no worries because I got 1917. You got a hidden life. We both had a sure. great time at the movies. They were just different okay. movies and, uh, that, that's what matters, right? So I guess so. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Not every movie can be for everyone. So we just sure. have to remember that. And, uh, there's plenty of people who agree with you on hidden life and that's great. 
I would love to see uh, it at least get a cinematography nomination. I guess we'll find out next, by the time this episode comes out. We'll know what the nominations are. But that's right. Yeah. Yeah. As we record but, this, I think we're basically hours away. Um, sure. So uh, there's another movie you saw, though, from last year, pretty recently. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm very curious about this one because I've heard amazing things. It was on my list <laughs> of 2019 movies to catch before 2020. Did make the cut for me. But now you're catching up on it. What is it? Yeah, um, just a couple hours ago, I got a chance at work to see Varda Bagnus, which is uh, the newest and final film from the late filmmaker Agnes Varda, who I'm not quite sure if she's a household name. I would say not unless you are a cinephile, which I mean, would make sense if you're listening to the show. But yeah, she's a very influential and uh, distinctive French filmmaker. Yeah, she might have been a, she might have been a household name like years ago. Sure. Like, you know what I mean? Like back in her heyday like she never stopped mm-hmm. being great but you know right. like there were, i think there was a time when way more people didn't know her absolutely yeah and um i think her most famous film is cleo from five to seven which is her sophomore film if i remember correctly i think that's right we, we actually showed that today as well but unfortunately i didn't get a chance to see that one um but yeah i mean before seeing this film my only real point of reference to her work was her previous film which is faces places uh which is another documentary she made and uh, this film, it I think, is meant to kind of be more of a, you know, uh, look back on a career. And then you get to see her reflections on her filmmaking process and the choices she made. And her most famous films are the ones that stuck with her the most uh, from a personal level and a creative level. But I think it's also a very fine introduction to her work. I, I mean, if you're not quite as familiar like me going into this, I, I do think this is a pretty good reflection of the creative process and also how one's life can be reflected in their work. And I, I, I do think this is quite a good film and I can see why it, it made a couple uh, top 10 lists. Um, I don't know if I'm quite that high on it. I'd probably give it like a high B, maybe a low B plus, but um, yeah, I could definitely see why people are being moved and taken by the film. And, you know, it's certainly a worthy tribute to such a well-known and famous filmmaker and, um, yeah, I hope you get a chance to check it out, John. It's uh, quite a nice little film. Yeah, I think that anyone listening to this who loves film history, who really just want, or maybe they don't yet, or maybe they don't know that much about it yet, if you want an education on who Agnes Varda was, all everything I've heard about this documentary is that it really does take you on a vivid journey through her films and through mm-hmm. what it took to make her films. And yeah. Uh, that, that's why I want to see it. it. It just seems like it, it's going to add a lot of context to a couple of movies that I already love and some movies I need to see uh, as yeah. someone who claims to love film. And I think that she's one of our all time great filmmakers. And uh, I know plenty of people listening to this show love like the medium, you know, <laughs> like they're mm-hmm. not just here to watch the the next movie of the week. They want to also catch up on what's come before. It. And this seems like a good ticket or a good entryway into her career so to make it maybe a little bit more accessible for some people who might be more intimidated by her filmography because it is pretty vast in terms of quality and quantity. Yeah, and I want to note that, um, I mean, I don't know for sure if she knew this was going to be her last film, but I mean, when she passed, she was 90, and so I had to imagine right. she, she knew her time was coming. But I will say the film isn't filled with any sense of like sadness or remorse. It's very vibrant and full of life, and uh, it definitely, I think, is one that um, I think it will appeal probably mostly to cinephiles, but I think it could have a pretty wide audience if you're willing to check it out. Yeah. All right. Well, that is Varda by Agnes. Let's get into our official reviews, our biggins. Uh, we're going to start with the f- only movie you and I both saw, 
which is Just Mercy. Just Mercy is technically a 2019 film. It had a limited release in, I think, New York and L.A. back in December, like late Yeah, an awards qualifying release. Right, exactly. Uh, This is Warner Brothers, and this one's been on both our radars for a while because it comes from director Dustin Daniel Cretton, or Cretton, one or the other. Yeah. And he is probably best known for Short Term 12, but Mm -hmm. uh, I think he also did The Glass Castle. Yeah, that was the one after that. Yeah. And then I'm Not a Hipster is the other film. I think that was his debut. Okay. Yeah, because Short Term 12 was 2013, and then Mm -hmm. all three of these Was it really that long ago? Oh, yeah. That was a long time back. And Was it? Really? Yeah. I, no, I'm pretty sure that's like 2015. No. Short Term 12 is 2013. Oh, sorry. Short Term 12. I thought you were talking about Glass Castle. I'm sorry. No, no. Glass Castle is 2017 because we talked about right, it that's on what the I thought. show. I, thought, I was going to say, yeah, I thought tw- Glass Castle was fairly recent. Yeah. I didn't see Glass Castle. That, that was a film that Andy Herndon liked a lot. You did yeah, not care for it. We had a pretty heated discussion about that <laughs> right. one. Right. And I was disappointed to hear that for sure because obviously everyone yeah, it knows. me out. I'm a yeah. big Brie Larson fan. I think oh, yeah. she and Critton have done great collaborations. And this is their latest, but she's not the front line, you know, or the front or the headliner for this film. Uh, that belongs to Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx decisively. Mm-hmm. The film is based on a true story about an attorney, a defense attorney named Brian Stevenson, who's fresh out of Harvard. Yeah. And he, he based has on his book. Hmm? Isn't it based on his book? Just yes. Mercy? Yeah. This is technically an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, so Brian, Brian Stevenson wrote the book. And it is this true story about the when Brian got out of Harvard, finished uh, law school, became a prosecutor, he had this idea that he was going to fight for death row inmates in Alabama, which, as you can imagine, is a daunting task considering it's the Deep South. And these people, a lot of them never really got a real defense. Lawyers didn't really stick up for them or go the distance with them because the legal system, especially in that area in the deep South is just totally stacked against their favor and their well-being. And along comes Brian Stevenson who finds this one case uh, concerning Walter McMillan, uh, also known as Johnny D. And as he starts to look into his case, he can't help but notice that it's, it's completely, it's complete injustice. What happened to him? He was clearly wrongfully convicted of murder and he spends this movie not just trying to help him but trying to help him and a group of other inmates who clearly they just appear to be there under a complete railroaded system that wants them incarcerated just for the sake of it uh, this kind of rings of a lot of films we've seen before a lot of oscar Beatty films where mm-hmm. a young hotshot attorney will come in and try to stick up for the person who's been wrongfully convicted. We've seen a lot of this. We've seen a really great version of this in the miniseries When They See Us uh, earlier in 2019 from Ava DuVernay, which uh, Mm -hmm. easily uh, one of the best miniseries of the year. I'd say it's like right up there with Chernobyl as just my favorite. And with this movie, it does a lot of things we've seen before. And I, I could not help but notice, though, that as I was watching this, the thing that crossed my mind was... I was thinking about the people who haven't seen this movie yet. The people sure. who don't know this story, who yeah. have not seen civil rights movies in this vein. Okay. And you, you could, we could probably name a bunch, but the, I kind of walked away from this being like, I'm really glad this exists. I'm really glad Michael B. Jordan, a recognizable actor that a lot of people recognize, a lot of people 
champion and want to go see a movie just because he's in it. Uh, same would go for Jamie Foxx and a lot of these other actors, Rob Morgan, Tim Blake Nelson, Rafe Spall, uh, Brie Larson, as we mentioned. And they're going to watch this and they're going to learn a true story. And hopefully it's going to inspire them to do something about this problem. And I, I walked out of this one pretty favorable on it. But what did you think? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I was mostly favorable, maybe a little less so than you were. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess for me, it's it's pretty interesting that um, this director, he, he went from making Short Term 12, which is obviously a very like vibrant indie um, one that, you know, definitely is uh, elevated by its great character work and its, uh, you know, intimate direction and stuff like that. And then he since then with Glass Castle and Just Mercy has been kind of making the sort of uh, prestige like 90s kind of dramas. Which is like, I guess, kind of a step back. But at the same time, he's also making the kind of studio movies that are becoming more obsolete. So I kind of respect that. But with this movie, I definitely appreciate it more than um, his previous film, just or The Glass Castle, uh, mainly because I think what it did as far as an ap- being an adaptation of that book was uh, uh, just a disgrace. Besides uh, strong performances, which I do think in all of his films carries over, but. Um, but this one, I guess while you were thinking about that, I was thinking more about like if this movie had come out in like 2014 or maybe like 2016, this probably would have gotten like five Oscar nominations, not because it technically deserves it, I think, but it just seems like the type of film that if it had come out earlier, probably would have gotten a lot more recognition and now it's just kind of there in a way that I think it's valid. Like I think it's a well-done film, and I definitely think the performances from uh, Michael B. Jordan and Brie Larson and Jamie Foxx, and most notably uh, Tim Blake Nelson, who I think is fantastic in this movie, um, really stand out, and I think kind of elevate what I find to be a rather perfunctory script. But um, I guess I didn't really have a, the same quite as a deep emotional resonance with this film as you did. Yeah, I, I was very moved by it. I, I think if I had to analyze this film section by section, I, I think it, it does so well to just slowly take its time and bring you into its world. Oh, yeah. I really like the beginning of the film. To yeah. Be the beginning is pro- is easily the best. I think as you just get to know the characters a bit, it's there's no courtrooms. There's no like action, flashy, none of that, that you'd kind of usually get in Oscar movies, which those are the kinds of movies like they know they're going to be making this for kind of a mainstream audience. And sometimes they just, it's too rushed. Right. And in this it's, it's a bit of a slower burn. And I, I found myself like just really feeling immersed. I, I really, really connected with the Rob Morgan performance. O'Shea Jackson, I forgot to mention as one of oh, the yeah. other inmates and just, I just felt like they were, these were real people. I, it, this was definitely one of those movies where I thought the performances masked the like the actors themselves, which is always great mm-hmm. to see, especially yeah. Jamie Foxx. I, I just think there are some scenes with him where no words need to be said. They, there was just craft to this. And that's what I liked about it. It's like I get that the concept is a little bit similar and familiar, and but there are resonant themes here that are executed a little bit differently. Like we don't usually get courtroom drama movies that are if this long where like the courtroom scenes aren't like the big scenes. I think, I think the big scenes or the more important scenes I should say happen throughout. And I'd say like my only issue is I think it's a little rushed toward the end. Like I think because it's gotten that huge runtime, I did find myself wondering if it would have worked better as a mini series, funny enough, right. like when they see us, where it's like, oh, if they could have drawn this out a little bit more, maybe this would have hit harder. But I do think it hits pretty hard. 
Uh, and then one last thing I'll say that does make this a little bit different from your typical law room, justice, time to kill sort of thing is that it's very anti-white savior in most respects. I think it does come down to like one in like one facet of the movie concerning like they need one or two white people to step up. But I think throughout you really feel like this is a story about a black community banding together and it doesn't feel like all their problems are going to be solved. It's more like their problems are going to be solved by an outsider who is a Northern black man coming to the Mm -hmm. South. And they do touch on that. And I think that's one of the things that is nuanced in a movie that is very heavy handed, which is what I liked. It's like a mix of very preachy drama stuff, but there is some subtlety and nuance you can talk about with people. Like that's flavored with that. So I, I, yeah, that's why I'm mostly favorable. I don't think there's a lot to really nitpick here. So I, I definitely dug it. Sure. And I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I guess for me, I definitely think the direction helped elevate what I found the screenplay lacked. And I think, like you said, I think it's that nuance and that time it took. I especially appreciated, like you're saying, the courtroom scenes kind of having a little more um, reality to them, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't really speak with much certainty on that, but it just felt like these like it didn't feel as super movie as a lot of these court scenes typically do. Like, the, like with the exception, maybe like the one. Yeah, I was going to mention. Yeah, there there might be like one kind of cinematic, but it it's for a purpose. It serves a function. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think performances and direction help to elevate this one to be maybe not something particularly special in my view, but one that I think would be easier to recommend than some of the other more Oscar-y, Beatty movies that uh, it might emulate for better or for worse. But um yeah I, I thought it was fine I, I guess i guess don't have quite of a strong feeling toward it but i did find myself moved by it by the end and end of the beginning like i said so um yeah it's well done i can definitely see why uh this is such a good director it's i guess now a little disappointing that he's gonna make a more of a movie after this just because <laughs> he's probably gonna be in their vein but mm. uh what oh well maybe it'll be amazing Maybe it's going to be like a martial arts movie, right? Yeah, the Shang-Chi one. So, yeah, I do want to see so that. Maybe. Yeah, I'm kind of curious. So, um, yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of something like a hidden life or not hidden life. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> right. Uh, what's the, what's that movie? Uh, hidden Figures. Uh, no, like see, I, like wouldn't, I wouldn't compare it to Hidden Figures. I'd well, say, okay. Yeah. Uh, just in the sense that like, I think it's like fine like i enjoyed seeing that but okay like with the exception of this like i haven't really thought about hidden figures much other than like it got a best picture nomination and it was just like it was a good film it was pretty good for what it was but it's not like one i'm gonna be like illuminating on much and i feel like that's probably what's gonna happen with just mercy like i think it was solid i enjoyed it uh, i think it's well done but i don't think it's one i'm gonna be like thinking back upon favorably otherwise in the future so i'll give it a solid b minus yeah i i definitely higher up on this one and I forgot to mention, too, one of my favorite pieces of irony in it is the connection to To Kill a Mockingbird, which I won't get into. But They lay it on pretty thick, though. They do. They really do. But I think it really works. I just think, like, it... Uh, yeah. I, there was something about the way they layer that in and this feeling that it's the early 90s, but the racism that you experience or you observe in this film feels like something placed in the 60s. I, I remember just being like, man, yeah, this is... This is such a better film about racism than Green Book. If we're looking at kind of Oscar season films about this subject where 
I feel like this film was a little bit more ahead of its time. I know you said it would win a lot of awards, right, in 2014. I think it would have been looked at as a bit more progressive back then. As it is right now, I don't think it's all that progressive, honestly. But, right, I guess that's what I mean. Like, it seems like yeah, type of film that would have been more forward-thinking, I guess, in the past. And now it seems like it's kind of, like, just there. Yeah, even though we didn't, you know, we haven't gotten that many movies like this since then. But Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, You know, in that sense, at least, but... Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm much that. higher. I'm I'm kind of like a low B plus on this. I've I've waffled between B and B plus. I think what pushes oh, me to B plus is the performances. I think are really effective. What brings me back down is that it's so long, and I I can't I can't say the third act is as amazing and wonderful as I want it to be personally. So I'm gonna stick with a high B for now. Um, big fan. I could see that going up a little bit upon a rewatch or two. So sure. Yeah. Yeah, I would say something about the pacing of it, though, it does kind of linger uh, and keep hold it back. I mean, because there's like one moment without giving anything away where like you think it's going to be like this pivotal point and then like something like crushing happens. And I think the way that that's executed is really well done. But then like it's just like, well, we still have like 20 minutes left. So this is going to wrap up somehow. <laughs> so, and it's like they kind of rush that to the conclusion. But yeah, I, 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 I do agree that I do kind of appreciate the slow burn. But I also feel like that that might have hindered it in some respects as well. Maybe it would have been an A if they had said just mercy at some point well, in the did. movie. They didn't they say the did. words just mercy. Well, they said justice and mercy. Mm-hmm. So you Not take out enough. the ice. <laughs> you no, only get this a is B political. for that. This is political, yeah. <laughs> if you take out the ice, you get just mercy. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, that's just mercy. Uh, we're both in the B range, but uh, it's a hardy B for me, and... Sounds like a, a middling B minus for you, but not definitely not a, a film. Eh. As you said, you wouldn't you wouldn't hesitate to recommend for the most part. Middling is a bit strong. I I I think it's pretty good. Like it's it's like yeah. more fine than than good maybe. Okay. But but it, I enjoyed it. Like I I'd, I'd give it like a a hearty B plus or a B minus like a thumbs up. Well, that is just mercy, and I think I think the reviews for the most part are fairly positive, and. Uh, I, I'm not sure how it's, how it's going to fare in terms of awards. I know it got nominated for the, the SAG Awards, and um, I think Jamie Foxx was the one who got nominated. But in terms of box office, it's been like $10.5 so far, I think. So we'll, we'll see how it does in the coming weeks. Let's talk, though, about a film that uh, definitely made a little bit more money, but is still kind of flopping maybe drowning i guess you could say and that's a movie called tanking Underwater. it's right there tanking. tanking i said drowning sure i mean come on um underwater this is a new sci-fi horror film and it's directed by william eubank and his first one was love back in uh 2010 2011 something like that um i i haven't i didn't see the signal the 2014 i heard about film. that i didn't see it but i heard about it yeah um, that was a sundance film right yeah, it was. Uh, he's also a cinematographer in addition to directing. and okay. But he didn't do the cinematography for this film, which I was surprised to see. Uh, it was, uh, kind of shows. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, it was one of uh, Gore Verbinski's uh, guys. Uh, I think he's worked with Paul Schrader, too, oh, but his man. name escapes me. If Gore Verbinski had directed this. <laughs> anyway, uh, Underwater. This is a new film starring Kristen Stewart and Jessica Henwick, John Gallagher Jr., and he who shall not be named. I didn't see Underwater. I only had time to see one film this week because I am in the process of big life changes, moving, sure. and marriage proposals, and all oh, kinds boy. of fun stuff. So, will you... <laughs> Just announce it out on the air. 
I like, well, you know, it's fine. I have no but I'm an open book, but what if she, what if she listens to this? <laughs> um, she could, I don't know. Um, right. I, Hey, on our, I think on our first date, she had already listened to an episode of cinemaholics and right. I think it was Incredibles too. So, uh, if, yeah. if memory serves, but well, uh, congratulations if you're listening to this. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I would be surprised if Kristen Stewart was listening to this. Sorry. Sure, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, that was a twist. <laughs> I was going to say Jessica Henwick, but as of course, Maverick Hines is a uh, cinematic uh, crush. So I don't want to steal. Sure. But anyway, underwater, I didn't see it. You did. This is a Fox slash Disney movie and reviews are kind of all over the place. I was curious about this one. I wasn't sure if I should see it over just mercy, but, uh, what did you think of underwater and what's it about? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why I'm sounding so critical of this because I'm I'm actually not that critical of it. But um, yeah, so the film, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's like you said, Kristen Stewart is a marine engineer. She's uh, on this mission where they're working several uh, feet underground in, in the ocean. Uh, a critical air happens and a small fleet have survived and they have to figure out a way to survive these... Uh, mysterious foes that uh lurk in the water and is killing everyone one by one uh very much reminiscent of alien uh as far as its style and execution uh the movie makes uh, no uh, secret of that even down to the titling of it yeah. being pretty similar to uh how the title card comes up for alien and the trailer right Two? yeah for sure. I mean, uh, I'm surprised they didn't do it underwater. No one can hear you scream or something like that. Or... <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and, and even yeah. like the Kristen Stewart character looks just like, like they kind of like dress her up like Ripley kind of in some of the later Alien films, right? Well, yeah, it was Alien 3 Ripley, I guess. Yeah. Because she has like a short kind of shaped head. Look, right. Uh, in this, which she looks good in. It's a good look. Like, uh, I, I, don't, I hope not to be derogatory in that, but. Uh, it's a good look for her. We I mean, support Kristen Stewart in the cinema hall yes. yeah. community. So if you're not fine well, with I, that, I you just, can get out. Yeah. No, no, I, I, not I, you, I just, but, I, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, yeah, the film itself, um, it's interesting because it's one of those movies where it's a film that's made for people who are familiar with B movies in that it doesn't have like that 20 minute exposition where it's like you learn about the mission and you learn about the crew members and then something terrible happens it's like literally like three or five minutes into the film is when the disaster happens and then you kind of meet the people and get to know them a little bit but not really but it's really more a kind of procedural film in that regard where it's just like stuff's happening we don't have time for character development and exposition we just got to get this going which uh in the scheme of things i kind of respect as far as like just getting in the thick of it uh early on because like a lot of these movies they do kind of uh bog things down by incorporating a lot of like heavy exposition in the beginning. And I, I do admire a film that's willing to just kind of push forward and just be like, you get the gist. Let's get, let's get going. But um, at the same time, I, I don't think the filmmaking here is particularly noteworthy enough to warrant such a brash execution. And I, I just don't think that I, I guess maybe if I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of back and forth in this because I do like the idea of just going headlong into it, but I also feel like if you don't do anything to establish these characters, then it's kind of hard to have any emotional resonance with them when they start getting picked off one by one. Uh, and so it's kind of like this catch-22 where it's like, I admire the boldness of the execution, but I also think it's kind of biting its own hand where it's like, you have to respect it, but acknowledge that it's not really helping the movie in the long run beyond like the zippiness of the beginning. 
And um, in the end, I, I felt like I never really had a strong relationship with this film in that like I like even I was watching I was kind of growing more and more disinterested in it uh particularly as it kind of gets more cliched and uh as they do try to develop Kristen Stewart's character it's kind of a uh what what's the word I guess kind of a um generic kind of uh character turn particularly towards the end and I I can see why this was probably delayed for quite a few years ago i think they filmed this in like 2017 or something yeah it was a while it's back just, that's yeah, why it, he who shall not be named is in it right and i'm pretty sure this will be the last it's tj miller by the way because it's kind of hard to uh um clarify that because I, I feel like there's a lot of people who should not be named right now so just <laughs> a little bit of clearance here um but yeah he if you're wondering he's not in the movie that much um but he is in a decent bit in the beginning so uh keep that in mind if you're thinking about seeing it and yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's another one of these films where I, I, in some respects, I kind of admire that it is an old fashioned, uh, B movie in that, like it, it does feel kind of quaint in 2020 to have this, uh, in a studio franchise cinema or not so cinema if you're Martin Scorsese, uh, when we're talking about the Marvel movies, but, um, yeah, I, I guess I'm just kind of so, so on it. Like I, I think it's, okay for what it is but i wasn't really enamored with it or entertained by it and uh i i guess i found myself just kind of wishing it was over by the end of it even though it's a fairly short movie uh, i just never really had much of a emotional threshold on it so um and i wasn't really super entertained enough to let it coast by on entertainment value alone so i'll give it a c plus like it's fine it's not anything objectively terrible but I, I feel like given most of the talent involved and uh, having such a brash opening that there was room for improvement here. And unfortunately, um, I, I found the movie kind of uh, underwhelmed me, if uh, mm. I shall pun. Yeah, it sounds like you're treading water on, yes. on your puns this week. But yeah, I, uh, it's a shame to hear that. But I am still looking forward to the prequels that they're going to make, probably with like Robert Pattinson, you know, like making out and... Mm with a fish version of himself or something like that and well, like a shape of water kind of thing no more more of like prometheus is what i had in mind there, oh but oh i get you i get you okay. yeah 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 shape of water would probably be a little mm. bit uh yeah i don't i don't know did did at least at the very least will did this movie end with the word on the screen finn no if only ah oh, bummer didn't uh the meg do that though I think it might have actually, and I bet I forgot. Uh, so underwater, maybe they, maybe they did, and then it was just like, damn it, maybe we waited too long. <laughs> uh, the movie's not doing super well at the box office. It costs, uh, it might have cost about around like fifty to eighty million dollars to make, but it kind of tanked at the box office. See, I was saving it. Um, oh. Fourteen million dollars in its opening weekend. Not very promising, and I don't know if this film is going to have a lot of legs or maybe tentacles all right i'm done true uh also yeah the the reviews are really mixed kind of like how you're feeling 53 percent uh, a lot of people are just kind of mixed on it and yeah the cinema score is like crazy low like I'm, i was really surprised to see that oh, it has really? a c cinema score yeah, well that's not that low that's very low for cinema score well, well cinema score, i don't know i mean i don't really take much stock in cinema score what 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 where they traditionally get things a minuses i mean yeah basically like i think average is like a, a b plus 
And so for a film to get a C, that's that's pretty bad. Like, especially a genre film like this. I, I don't know. I, I guess people were expecting something better, but who knows? That's Maybe. that's underwater. And uh, I don't know how I don't know if this one's going to last too much longer in theaters. But speaking of films that did not come out in the theaters, but would have a few years ago, funny enough, True. at least I believe, is a new film called Togo, which I watched. This one premiered on disney plus but back in i think it was on the service back in december like december 20th so it's been out for a while and i just am getting to it because of the holidays and that that craziness but in in case you're not familiar this one came out um, on that streaming service it's i think one of their first originals and it's actually good i'm i am happy to say this is a good movie and i wish i had seen it before the uh the the cutoff for for 2020 it wouldn't have been my favorite film or wouldn't have made my honorable mentions probably but i I was pleasantly surprised this is a film starring willem dafoe and julianne nicholson and a lovely devil dog named togo it takes place in 1925 you might have heard of a special real life event that happened in 1925 called the serum run to gnome and the reason you might find that kind of familiar despite it being 29 uh, 2020 not 2019 is because there's a movie that came out called balto you remember balto will absolutely i remember balto yeah balto was a siberian husky sled dog who got the credit for this famous serum run where they had to during this crazy storm try to like get this serum and bring it back to this place called Nome in alaska which was needed to save a bunch of children who were dying from this disease and balto got the credit but this movie explains why even though he probably shouldn't have Uh, this is actually a story about the real heroes of that uh real life event and th- not only is this movie about that, it's not a straightforward uh, narrative. And I should also say, uh, Balto was an animated movie, and uh, that's probably why like we even know about it, because I don't know if it was like that famous before the movie came out or what the deal is with that, but I remember watching Balto growing up. Uh, I forget which uh, animation studio made that, because it wasn't Disney, if I recall. Was it 20th Century Fox? Might have been. Might have been. And no, I, Universal. Was it Universal? Okay. Yeah. yeah. This this movie is a total like reply all to that movie, to Balto, because it's <laughs> like, back. all right, let's set the record straight here. Um, the Disney version. Yeah. But th- this film isn't just about, like I was saying before, a straightforward, let's go save kids. It's actually like a really intimate drama about Willem Dafoe, who is this grizzled, seasoned sled dog trainer who throughout this movie has flashbacks to when Togo kind of came into his life and sort of their, their troubled relationship and how they, how Togo sort of really just took over him. And there's a lot of like animosity between these two characters. There's a lot of him trying to give Togo away. Um, He almost kills Togo when he first meets him and just has nothing but ambivalence. But the movie is about them kind of growing together. And it's there's actually some subtlety and nuance to how Willem Dafoe sees not just Togo, but his dogs in general, sees them as like work animals, not as friends. And he tries to keep himself shut off to them, which sounds a little bit treacly, but the movie actually executes this really well. Like you, you kind of understand why he feels the way he does about his dogs without it feeling like he's a monster. Uh, he just kind of 
feels like a grizzled person. There's there's a lot of exposition explaining like where he comes from, but none of it is distracting. None of it feels like it's heavy. There's a lot of great scenes of the sled, uh, the sled team in action that you get to enjoy. So I found myself pretty thrilled by this, and I thought it was a, a really for what it is and for what it's trying to do, sort of like re-educate children who uh, children and adults like me who think they know this story but really don't. Uh, it's actually a, a, a kind of an entertaining and insightful film in a lot of ways. And there's there's stuff here to grasp onto besides what you would expect from, at this point, a, a streaming service that we don't know really what the tone is going to be moving forward between this and Mandalorian. And they, they really are putting out a lot of different things in order to get people hooked on the service. And if they keep making movies, or in this case, I don't know if they acquired it, or um, I, I know this is something they've they've been wanting. Like Disney's been wanting to do this for for years, and you can sort of see like, man, this is the kind of movie like Finest Hours, like that kind of thing they would have made like early part of the year. Oh yeah, would have come to theaters, nobody would have seen it. But this seems like a good home for this kind of movie. It's on something that I think is maybe it would have been amazing on a big screen because some of these shots are incredible. Um, especially like it looks like they shot on location for a lot of it. But if it's if between the movie existing and not existing, then I'm glad it gets to exist and we can enjoy it on the small screen at least. And um, yeah, whether or not this was shot, this was clearly shot somewhere just mad- majestic. Whether it was probably Canada, um, not because usually they shoot these things probably around there. But that said, I I enjoyed this as a, a faithful uh, account of what happened. I did look into it. And there are certain things that didn't happen in this movie, but uh, I think it works um, to, to pretty good effect. The things that they sort of edited and they put in just to like drive things home. So I recommend it. It's a uh, it's a little long. It's like a little bit short of two hours, uh, but it's definitely a film worth racing to your Disney Plus subscription for, which I know will be hard for you, Will, because I, I don't think you've you've subscribed, correct? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe someday. Maybe, maybe someday you'll join Maybe's the dark someday. side. Um, sure. Yeah, but I, I give Togo a, a hearty B minus. So very high B minus, but uh, definitely not a film that I think is, you know, remarkable enough that I could pump up even further, but uh, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, uh, just mercy B nice for me, I guess, is what you're, you're qualifying this as. <laughs> uh, in a sense, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. It's just that I can't, there's nothing about the film that's that surprising. So I can't be like, it's amazing. You know, like it's sure, a sort of B minus in terms, it's a B minus in its craft, but enjoyability factor. People might enjoy this like they would enjoy a B plus kind of film. So maybe that'll sure. enlighten. But all right, we have one last film. This is one you've seen, but I haven't. And sure. I'm kind of happy about that because I'm a, I'm a fan of Miguel Arteta. I am. I, Who isn't? I, well, people who don't like Cedar Rapids, I guess, but I feel like that that film mm. has some fans. Um, if you don't know, Miguel Arteta is a Puerto Rican director, and he's one of the first directors that I ever saw myself in, right? Because there just aren't a lot of Puerto Rican people in showbiz uh, in Hollywood. And so I've always kind of really looked up to him because his films, like watching them in the 2000s, like Chuck and Buck and The mm-hmm. Good Girl, like these are films that... I, I could actually like get me interested in film because I was like, oh, you know, somebody like me could actually do something in film. And then, and, you know, obviously, like I didn't know about other Puerto Rican people in the industry, but I'm a fan. But this movie, I just after all the trailers, like a boss, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't watch like a boss. Well, I, I, I don't want to be upset with Miguel. But what is this movie about? Who's in it? How do you feel about it? Uh, yeah. Um, well, like a boss is, uh, Tiffany Haddish and Rose Byrne, as well as, uh, 
Selma Hayek and uh, Jennifer Coolidge and uh, Billy Porter. So the premise is basically that Tiffany Haddish and Rose Byrne are uh, nearly lifelong friends. I think they first uh, got to know each other in either middle school or high school. Uh, they are independent business owners. They have a makeup company and they're primarily known for a makeup kit called the One Night Stand. And they uh, have a pretty tight-knit relationship, even being in business together, but they are hemorrhaging money. And at this point, because of the success of, or the once success of the One Night Stand makeup kit, a uh, mogul company owner played by Selma Hayek uh, expressed interest in buying their company and trying to get 51% of creative control. Uh, they eventually argue it down to 49%, but if she can find a way to separate these two friends and uh get at least one of them to drop out, then she will regain the 51% control that she wants in the company. So it's a lot of uh, hijinks that ensue from there, just kind of uh, rivalries rivalries and other things like that. And um, it's a not good movie, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. And uh, to echo what you were saying earlier, uh, Miguel Artera is a filmmaker I really respect and like a lot. Um, I, you didn't really talk a lot about it. He did a lot of TV stuff as well, so maybe people might yeah, be more familiar with that. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, going off of some of the ones you said, um, Chuck and Buck definitely is a movie I love. Uh, good Girl as well. Uh, the Good Girl. Uh, Youth and Revolt. I enjoy a good bit. See Rapids. I do actually. Yeah. Un- I really like that movie. I, unir- uh, I unironically really like Youth and Revolt. It, yeah, I was, yeah. was going to say about... Uh, that's what I felt about Sea Rapids, but I also quite enjoy Youth and Revolt as well. And I, I should have mentioned um, uh, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day was my first press screening. So that's pretty wild. And I was on the red carpet and there was just something awesome about that day. You know, like I know that film's not great or anything, but sorry, personal stuff. Sure. Uh, Humble bragging there, but. um... Well, in a way that I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it obvious, like why I have such a hang up on this director. And it's just like, there's a lot of baggage there, I guess. Sure. But, um. Yeah, I didn't see Duck Butter, which was a pretty indie film, right? That was like, yeah, it's, it's okay. Uh, I I don't know. True. That's a that's another film I was kind of weird about. It's a uh, a lesbian romance, um, and it's okay. it's it's got a weird and awkward screenplay. Um, but they, I think so it's, it's it. not Chuck and Buck. Uh, yeah, similar ish. I think Chuck and Buck is wildly better. That I, makes sense. Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, I wasn't crazy about Patrice at dinner. Like I thought it was all right. Like it was fine. But considering that uh, it was the like third film that Mike White and uh, Miguel Artero had done together. I thought it could have been a little better given their past relationship uh, as filmmakers. And Alexander and Terrible Horror of No Good, Very Bad Day is a uh very meh to me like it's yeah it it doesn't like if you could have hadn't worse. taken out the director's cut or the director's uh credit for it and just told me a guess who had directed it i would not have guessed Miguel Terra because it doesn't really have any of his signature style or anything that seems particularly unique to him well yeah but he's doing he is doing another film with jennifer garner so and apparently I yeah i think it's a netflix film oh yeah um but i was gonna say in that vein, like a boss just very much feels like he's a director for higher mode. I mean, he hasn't really done that many studio movies, but it just seems like whenever he is in studio mode, it just there's really nothing that makes his work stand out to pair compared to like any other studio director, comedy studio director, I mean. So I really didn't feel like any of his influences or any of his creative decisions. And even to that point, like I don't even know if this is really even meant to be 
an R-rated comedy initially because it feels very PG-13 in its execution style. There's really the only thing that makes it R-rated is some fairly like, you know, like uh, four letter words language and some sexual jokes are kind of thrown in here and there. But that seems like something could have done a reshoot. So I don't know if they add that in later on, but it just feels like a movie that's kind of desperate to be liked and won over. And I mean... I think Tiffany Haddish is a producer on this, and I think it's her first time producing, so maybe this is an effort to kind of continue to branch out her brand, but I'd rather see her kind of do some more uh, unique stuff, because it feels like she's kind of running into this repetitious period where she's kind of playing similar characters and a lot of the same comedies, and I think it worked great, and Girl, uh, yeah, Girl Trip, I was going to say Girl Boss, but Girl Trip, um, because she was part of an ensemble, and she could kind of be balanced out by having, you know being with the ensemble and I, I think what she's kind of left to do on her own it doesn't quite work as well and that's unfortunate but um I will say this is the first time I've seen Billy Porter in anything as far as I can recall and he is a Pittsburgh native so represent but um yeah he is an extremely charismatic person like I can definitely see why he's a huge star now because he definitely has the star potential and it's a shame that this movie doesn't really do anything with him but uh it's very if this movie did anything it's rec- made me recognize that Billy Porter is a real deal. And I don't know if that was the intent or the purpose of this movie, but I guess that's something that's opposed to nothing. But yeah, this is not a good movie. It's a C minus. Uh, so sad. So sad to hear that. So sad to hear that. Yeah. Um, Only for the uh, Miguel Artera completist, as I told you <laughs> earlier. Yeah, I, I I am a big fan of his t- TV work, too. I forgot to mention that. He's done episodes of The Office and Freaks and Geeks. But um, I was gonna say enlightened is the main thing I recognize. Well, I never, TV I did never see enlightened. Oh, it's so, great. Yeah, but uh, this is this is not the first film Tiffany Haddish has produced. Uh, she was an executive producer for The Oath. Oh, uh, was she? I, yeah, okay. she was. I actually kind of liked The Oath. I thought it was alright. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, and yeah, Tiffany Haddish. I mean, such a funny actor. I just, it just seems like she's dealing with the same thing that Camille Nanjiani is kind of dealing with, where they both had these really good films in 2017. Uh, for him, it was Big Sick. For her, it was Girls Trip. And just mm-hmm. ever since then, they keep being cast in like these sort of disposable comedies where right. they don't really take advantage of like their comedic talents as well. Yeah, you know, between like Stuber for Camille and then that Lovebirds movie that looks really yeah. not good to me. But yeah. Oh, is there a trailer for Lovebirds? Yeah, I saw it uh, right before Just Mercy, and oh, really? I was really unimpressed. I it, hmm. hopefully it's just a bad trailer, badly cut. So that's a Showalter directed that. So I, I, I was kind of looking forward to it, especially because this array yeah. is in it, you know, and then yeah, yeah. something about that trailer though. I was like, oh, this has like, that's a shame. It feels a I lot like, trailer. it feels a lot like Stuber, huh. you know, just like a studio comedy, thinly veiled, you know, cash grab. So I, I hope that's not that's the case shame. though. Yeah. It's a shame. Oh, well, but yeah, it's like the Melissa McCarthy problem. Like, like she has a similar thing with bridesmaids and then she's got cast in a lot of disposable comedies and. That's how it goes, I guess. That's so Hollywood. Tiffany Haddish will make a great movie like Can You Ever Forgive Me? But then Hopefully. the next well, she's year, gonna be in a... she was already in The Kitchen, which was like her other dramatic role that just didn't take With off. With Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, that's where they, they <laughs> intertwine. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, and I was going to say, apparently um, Tiffany Haddish is going to be in the new Paul Schrader movie. So maybe that'll maybe that'll be the dramatic push that proves her talents as a dramatic actress. Maybe, maybe so, maybe so. So like a boss, uh, not doing well at the box office. It's a low budget That's movie, not... just around thirty million dollars or so to make, but it only made ten million dollars at the box office. It's like mid budget, so. right? Thirty. Yeah, it, so it'll probably make some of its money back, but I, I don't think this is going to do uh, all that well. It is doing better than I think it probably would have. 
uh, or I think it's doing okay for an R-rated film to what you're saying. If it was PG-13, it, I could imagine it would it'd probably be more like 15 million, who knows? But uh, it's also a very short movie too, so it's probably playing on a lot of screens. So it's like, gosh, like an hour, 20 minutes or something like that. So yeah, it's if you're in the mood for a disposable comedy, I, I don't know. I guess, yeah, you have to be a Miguel completionist. Uh, cinema score is a B, by the way. Uh, I looked that up and a B. See, that's what I mean, Will. Like a movie like this gets a B. What does a movie have to be to get a C, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, didn't Uncut Gems get like a D on yeah. cinema scores? Mother got like so an F, you know? So yeah, They don't know what they're talking about. Then. <laughs> well, that's just, of course, if you don't know a cinema score, it's, it's kind of a measure. It, it only, I think, happens in like certain markets, mainly in LA. Like where New they, Mexico, I think, right? Is uh it? Is it New Mexico? Like close, I, I thought it was like close to Las Vegas. There, there's a bunch of them, I think. Or I think they've expanded it. So there's more than one. But I think it, I think it used to be in LA only. And really? they just pull people as they leave the theater. It's like, hey, did you like it? And it, it's really just based off of a, like how many people like liked it or would recommend it, that kind of thing. So Oh, surprised we didn't talk about this. Cinema score, uh, for the 20th time in history, they gave The Grudge an F. Yeah, I was surprised to see that. I mean, man, that, that movie must be some kind of bad. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, I think there's a very short list of films that have gotten an A+. Plus. Uh, I think it's like fewer than 100. But actually... Didn't, uh, like, or what's it, Just Mercy get an A+. Plus? It did. Yeah. Forgot to yeah. mention that. Just Mercy. Um, I think, let's see, Just Mercy got an A+. Plus. Avengers Endgame got an A+. Plus. Uh, I think Peanut Butter Falcon did. And okay. Ford vs. Ferrari. Uh, yeah, a lot of 2019 sure. films did. Um, probably more than... Uh, the last few years i think like one of the worst i remember one of the worst years for uh cinema score was 2017 there was only like a couple <laughs> that did that got it um hmm. but uh i think actually 2014 was pretty bad too i think there was only like two but anyway that's uh like a boss yeah <laughs> what a weird week did i give a did I give my grading for that i i don't remember actually it was a c minus i think uh, if, if i didn't say that earlier that's what i meant yeah yeah, C minus. I I feel like I'm just in a a mode right now where I feel like we're okay. in such a weird transitional period. Sicko and, mode. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> uh, but that, that's actually a decent transition into our plans for next week because Doolittle's coming out, uh, as well as Bad Boys for Life. Now I I have a crazy Is month that a ahead. Transition because Doolittle's in sicko mode. No, oh. I was going to say like, I'm in a mode because Sundance is about to happen. Oh, I got so you. So okay. I'm going to be in like, crazy town, uh, not Sundance itself, but like my mindset will be crazy town for the next few weeks. And I don't know exactly what we're going to do. Uh, hopefully we're going to have um, some material, some probably an episode where I might not make it to the show. And uh, hopefully, Will, you'll be able to hold a fort while I'm gone, if that's the case. Uh, I oh, want to no try pressure. to do fun things. But um, I don't know if we're going to do like an Oscars episode. We have a couple of ideas tossed around for how we want to do the Oscars this year. So a lot going on, but it yeah. uh, should be a fun time. We'll figure it out. All right. That'll do it for this week's show. Uh, thanks as always for listening. Don't forget, if you want to hang out with us on our social pages, all that information is in the show notes. And don't forget, you can go to cinemahawks.com, uh, comment on the episode if you want to ask us anything or just, you know, let us know what you thought of these films that we discussed. So for now... We'll see you next week from the Internet California. I'm John Agroni. And for the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Lash. See you next time.